Welcome to the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. In these episodes, we will explore all things related to gaining a coveted appointment to the Air Force Academy, Naval Academy, and West Point. And here are your hosts, Rob Kirkland and Trish Penroth. All right. Welcome to another edition of our podcast. And I am joined, as always, by Captain Trish Doc. Trish, how you doing? I'm doing great, sir. How's uh, how are things over in California? Good, good. Everything's doing great in Florida and we're on different parts of the country, but we're still loving life and and enjoying letting both Service Academy and ROTC folks know about the latest and greatest about what's happening with admission or getting a, a scholarship. One of the things that's been on my mind and I think been on the mind of pretty much a lot of people in higher education is the SAT and ACT and how that is being treated for college and university admissions and whether or not the attitudes towards the SAT or ACT or the relative weight that is being given to that standardized test is going to affect the way that the academies and ROTC select people for, for an appointment or a scholarship. I just thought today we might talk about this and sort of what we've been seeing, if we've been seeing any sort of trends moving towards maybe a de-emphasis on the SAT or ACT and maybe do some predictions for the future. But Trish, why is it that the SAT and ACT has gotten so much flack from higher education recently? Well, I think it's just the fact that it's perceived as being skewed towards people who have the economic ability to go get the tutors. They take it the first time around. They don't do so well. And then they're able to afford the tutors to improve their scores. Or maybe they just had better schooling and education in the first place, so they're able to score higher. So really just skewed against a disadvantage, I think, at, at the end of the day. Yeah. My daughter went to a private school, and they had some students that were taking this in the sixth grade, continually drilling this thing through the sixth grade all the way through to when they were juniors in high school. So they had five years of preparing for this test. So clearly, if you have the money or the desire or the pushing and, and all the educational benefits and the family members that are educated, all the things that we attribute to people with more income, then they're going to do better on this test. And it's going to disadvantage those that they are not in that situation. So the places across the country, colleges around the country have made decisions to either treat the test as optional or test blind. And so what I want to do is just briefly talk about what is meant by test optional or test blind is we look at test optional, which is really the majority, I think, of colleges and universities in the country now is that the test is accepted or not accepted. In other, in other words, the test is optional. You can either take the test, you submit the test scores or not submit the test scores. And the way that that is interpreted is depends on the college or university. So some colleges and universities may wonder why you're not submitting the test. Others may not care one way or the other if the test is submitted or not. So so that's sort of test optional where you're really not sure where if the university is going to take it into account, what what weighting it's going to give it. And so you're sort of up in the air regarding the the efficacy of the test. The other one is test blind, which is the University of California system and the state system here where I live in California, where that's not even considered. 
in the admissions. Even if you submit the test, they don't even look at the SAT or ACT. I, I would say a minority of colleges and universities are doing the test blind option. More of them are doing the test optional piece. As far as how it's affecting traditional college and university admissions, what it means is that the SAT or ACT is less weight. There's less weight on this test than there has been in the past, even at test optional colleges and universities. And if this continues, then likely what's going to happen is more colleges are going to adopt either a test optional or test blind, and it's going to continue down this road. That's sort of what we're looking at here with colleges and universities. And obviously, service academies and ROTC is going to be affected by these trends. If we look at high schools, for example, high schools are de-emphasizing the SAT and ACT. And I, I don't know if you have any anecdotal examples of that, Trish, about how high schools just are not making the ACT or SAT part of emphasis for their high school students. It goes back to exactly what you explained with test optional and test blind, especially where you're geographically located. If you're located in the state of California, chances are your high school is going to be making you take the PSAT or really just putting that focus on the the level of preparation because they want students to be successful. They want them to go off to college. And now that the requirements aren't necessarily stressing SAT, ACT as much, why push it as hard in high school? Exactly. I mean, if it's not being emphasized, I remember when you know you and I were going through, and I'm sure until recently, there was actually a free PSAT or even a free SAT that you could take in, in your high school where the high school would pay for the, the SAT and everybody in the school would sit down and take the test. That's a really good thing to keep in, in mind as well. If you're in one of those states and maybe five to 10 years ago, you would have had a lot of preparation or just emphasis on the test and that's not going to be there anymore. So if you're planning to apply to college or university or service academy or an ROTC scholarship, that still requires this. It's a consideration. Yep. And this is even ble bled over to congressional nominations for service academies. I know you've had an example recently of how members of Congress are treating the SAT or ACT in their nomination selection. Talk about that because this is something that you've run into with some of the people you've been working with. Yeah, especially in Maryland, that's one example. There is a member of Congress who He's not even accepting SAT or ACT scores as part of the nomination application. And I expect more members of Congress to go this path, especially in states where it, SAT and ACT scores, maybe it's test blind for, for a lot of the colleges. So in that application, it's usually a transcript, letters of recommendation, the application for the, the representative or senator, and maybe a photo and a resume and an essay. And traditionally, an SAT, ACT score has been required for that as well. However, this congressman is not even looking at the SAT, ACT. So if you're in Congressman Raskin's district, he's not even considering your scores. He is looking at your school transcript, however. So that's a consideration. Right. And so I imagine when a lot of these sites are updated this year, we may see more examples than Congressman Raskin regarding the, the de-emphasis on the SAT or not even accepting SAT or ACT scores. And so I think, frankly, that Congressman Raskin is doing a disservice to his constituents in this district because 
Let's talk about uh, the role of standardized testing and service academy admissions, and we'll talk about ROTC later. But as far as we know, there is still this emphasis on the SAT. It accounts for approximately 40% of the overall weighting of the whole candidate score for the service academies. So the academy super score the test. They take the best of SAT, two parts of the SAT are the best of each one of the four parts of the ACT to make up the super score. And then that is then put in as 40% of the overall whole candidate score. Now we should also emphasize that 60% of the standardized test is weighted towards math and 40% is weighted towards verbal. So it's more important to do better on the SAT or ACT math and or ACT math science section or the SAT or ACT math or science section or the SAT math section that it is doing on the verbal because of the weighting towards the math and math science. But they are still using this same emphasis. So if we take a look at Congressman Raskin's dis- district, for example, by sending out the signal he's not a accepting SAT or ACT scores, what we're, what we hope is not happening is that hopefully that's not giving a signal to his constituents that SAT or ACT doesn't matter towards admission to a service academy. <laughs> hopefully that's not happening. I mean, that's would be a major disservice to his constituents. Plus, if he's selecting people for a nomination to an academy and not considering SAT or ACT scores, he's not following the admissions standards that the academies are using to give people an appointment. So, And also, just looking at the way that members of Congress can nominate candidates, it kind of goes back to what method are they using? Are they sending in names ranked or are they just letting the academy decide who the most qualified person is? And what's interesting is you would think that someone who isn't looking at SAT, ACT scores would have some other criteria for judging right. who the most qualified candidates are and would send those in ranked. But Congressman Raskin does not send them in ranked. So it's a very interesting, basically, I'm deciding who the most qualified people are. I don't know what their SAT, ACT scores are. Hopefully they're good enough for the academy. And then academy, you decide who the most qualified person is. It's an interesting juxtaposition that we're in. Yeah. I mean, Congressman Raskin should rank the candidates. If he's going to use some different criteria than what the academies are using, then he should rank them because if he gives it by the competitive slate, the academies are spent sending 40% of their whole candidate score in the SAT or ACT. I'm not sure if he's really thought through this as well as he probably could. And I'm not sure what guidance the academies are giving to these congressmen, but The reason we bring this up is because of of the disconnect between the member of Congress and the academies. But the fact is that all of these things, the test optional, test blind, congressmen going and not accepting SAT or ACT score for nomination is going to put pressure in my mind on the academies to move away from the SAT or ACT. And, And so West Point, when you look at their admissions page, they have a quote and the quote says that West Point Admissions Committee remains committed to a holistic assessment of the applicant credentials, which include reviews of academic achievement, academic aptitude, leadership experience, physical fitness, and other unique attributes during the select application process. To me, that opens the door to moving away from the SAT or ACT test. And, and 
I know anecdotally from communications that the academies have made to their field force or liaison or representatives are out in the field. They're not terribly enthusiastic about the SAT or ACT. They believe that it hamstrings them in their admissions decisions. And I think if it was up to them, they would de- they would de-emphasize the SAT or ACT in that regard. But so, Trish, why is it then that the academy's hesitant to move away from the SAT or ACT? That's a great question. Yeah. I think because the methods of evaluation differ so much for students from state to state. The transcripts that you get, the grades that you get in your classes, if somebody gets an A in calculus in Maryland and and a, a B or a C in calculus in Louisiana, how do those relate to each other? The SAT and the ACT are kind of the great equalizers, to put it bluntly, because they have to by law with the congressional mandate that they follow the top 150 and they're able to rank through the national waiting list any candidates who don't get the appointment through the congressional nomination and those remaining candidates who've gotten the nomination but haven't gotten the, the appointment. They have to put them on the national waiting list, rank them from one to 4,000, and then by law must choose the top 150 and offer those folks an appointment assuming that they're qualified. And how right. do you figure out who those top 150 are is the question. Right. And so if if you have 40% of your ranking of the top 150 is through not a subjective, but an objective measure, which is the SAT or ACT, then you can be more confident in your ability to rank those top 150 candidates. So I think that that is the main reason in my mind why the Academy is, is not, at least for the time being, not moving away from a test optional or test blind direction is that requirement for the, the Title 10. Now, the question is, when does it get to the point when there's so many candidates that, that where this high schools are not emphasizing this test, when is it going to get to that point? And who knows? I imagine that the academies are, are closely monitoring this thing and trying to then determine what's going on. And my guess is that they would have to be forced also to move lockstep together. I don't think that Air Force Academy could move on its own without having the other service academies move with them. I completely agree with you. And maybe it's not all together at the exact same time, but there'll be a general trend if they do. So our overall message with the service academies right now is that they still have the 40% of the whole candidate score. The SAT or ACT super score, you've got to emphasize that test. And no matter who's telling you, your guidance counselor, your classmates, or whoever else is telling you, you need to tune them out because the SAT or ACT is still king for getting into a service academy and you can't lose sight of that. Let's move on to ROTC and SAT or ACT. So the ROTC programs are not under this Title X requirement of the top 150. They can move on their own regarding this and they can make decisions to emphasize or de-emphasize the SAT or ACT. So we have been seeing some movement in this regard. The general range for ROTC in the past has been about 30 to 40% of the SAT or ACT for the overall weighting of the scholarship selection has been with the SAT or ACT test. That has been kind of in line with the service academies, maybe slightly less than the service academies as far as the emphasis that are given. 
But what we've seen in this past year or so is that Navy and Marine Corps have started to move away from the weighting that has traditionally been given to this test. What we have is the Navy moving from about 30% to about 15%. So it's half. And what they've been doing is they've been emphasizing more the classes you've been taking in high school, the grades you're getting, and the rigor of the courses that you're taking in high school. They've also added some points to teacher recommendations as well as extracurricular activities. So they've moved away a little bit from the SAT and added in other things and de-emphasizing those things. That's good news for people who don't do well in the SAT or ACT is that the ROTCs seem to be make, at least Navy so far, I don't know if Army or Air Force is going to follow suit but in the future, but there is some movement in the ROTC side of the house regarding these trends. My guess is the next program that may move in that direction would be Army ROTC, but it's hard to tell. We don't really know right now, but it definitely has been Navy and Marine Corps that has been reducing the ACT or SAT scores. And we'll keep on top of this. We update our books, um, our podcasts, and our courses to reflect the latest changes that are going on both with the service academies and ROTCs regarding the emphasis on the SAT or ACT. So Trish, what are your thoughts that I've missed on this? At the end of the day, just preparing, looking at what they're looking for for a military officer. So scholar athlete leader and the SAT, ACT is, is a huge part of that. But really, if you're looking at the scholar perspective, doing well in your classes is so crucial to show that you're going to be successful, right? One of the studies that was done that talks about how the single most important factor as to whether or not a student's going to graduate is their SAT math score or how they did in calculus or their most advanced math class. And there's a reason why, right? If they're trying to make sure that you're going to be successful at the academies because the calculus-based engineering classes, physics classes, it's crucial. And don't get swept away with the rest of the country and think that it doesn't matter anymore. Also, we look at ROTC with Navy and Air Force in particular that require 70, 80% of their applicants to have an engineering or heart science major. That's the same thing they're concerned about. They're concerned that if you look at Navy ROTC, they're putting weight on your math and science courses and and they're really looking closely at those. So if they're going to de-emphasize the SAT a little bit. They're going to look very closely at your math and science score courses. They're going to see that if you're taking AP courses, what have your scores been on those things? It's even though there may be some de-emphasis on it, I think it does, like you're saying, put even more importance on your grades and the rigor of your courses. This podcast was a little bit more speculative other than the information we gave on Navy and Marine Corps ROTC, but I think it's worth our continued attention and to kind of see where the wind is blowing here. It's our job to keep you updated on these things. And if something does change, we'll, uh, we'll let you know. So Trish, until next time, we'll see ya. You've reached the end of another episode of the GAIN Service Academy Admission Podcast. Connect with us at gainserviceacademyadmission.com. Love this episode of the podcast? Head over to iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast app you listen to to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.